Hello and a big welcome back to Expected Goals. We are recording this on Thursday night, so just a few more sleeps until arguably the biggest game of the season. I, th- I think it's biggest game of the season, no doubt. Liam, how are you feeling up until Monday? Are you excited? Are you are you nervous? What are your thoughts? Very mixed feelings. Um, I, I think definitely biggest game of the season. Um, really looking forward to it in the sense of how well we've been playing um, as of late in terms of... Um, I know people often sort of separate performance from result, but I think our performance to get a result, um, sort of lack of a better phrase in terms of our game management, um, but also how we've set up and uh, thought of teams quite well, um, particularly sort of in, in a defensive perspective that um, we've shown our ability at times to sort of high press and cause these problems. So to sit back, I think, as well as sort of a valuable tool um, to be able to, to still sort of show those strengths. Um, and then going forward, you know, not just to continue to create big chances, because um, that will also all bears out in, in the metrics and the statistics, but um, the aesthetics with which um, we've been doing that. And, you know, the um, we saw against Spurs, we saw against, obviously, Tamfield, um, which is a game that's happened since we sort of last recorded a, a fantastic win there and um, a joy to see Steven Alzate finally find on the score sheet. Obviously, I know we've sort of um, you know dreamt of what could have been a, a that day on Tyneside, Charlie, when uh, he headed home from an offside position. So for him to sort of open his account is is fantastic. But um, yeah, the, the aesthetics to which we've been playing and, and scoring goals from have been truly wonderful. And, you know, that's the exact sort of tempo, penetration, um, the runs in behind, uh, the sorts of chances that we're going to need to create um, to, to beat Palace on Monday, of course. Yeah, absolutely. The f- recent form has been just fantastic. Really, really good stuff. Uh, not quite the result that we maybe deserved uh, against against Aston Villa last time out. Um, obviously, we coming off massive victories against Spurs um, and against um, against Liverpool. Can't forget that uh, first first win at Anfield since like 1982, I think. So that's just Absolutely crazy, um, yeah. Aston Villa was a was a was a game that I think any other goalkeeper or a goalkeeper not in the or not in the same form as Martinez and we and we might have got something a little bit more than than, than we got. Uh, Info goal rated it as the least fair results of, of that game week. Uh, we accumulated two point four four xg and twenty six shots. Uh, Villa just zero point one four xg. Um, so I think as as you as you kind of mentioned there. Uh, it's also worth, uh, very much worth pointing out the, the solid defensive side of, of everything. Um, you know, the the underperformance in terms of the expected goals is frustrating. It's not ideal. But the defensive side of the performance to make sure that, OK, fine, if you can't score, if the goalkeeper insists on having a blinder, if, you know, the reincarnation of David Marshall from Cardiff mm-hmm. is, is in goal, then uh, then you just don't lose the game. That's I think that's really, really important. I know we're draw specialists up there with Fulham. Um, but, you know, one point is definitely better than none. Um, Joel Veltman, a standout performer against Aston Villa, uh, as good going forward as he was, defensively kept Jack Grealish completely quiet. Fantastic stats. Um, just a few here, ranked amongst Brighton players. Most pressures with 21, the most tackles with five, um, and the most fouls one as well. So, taking uh, Grealish and beating him at his own game in that sense. I enjoyed a couple of those moments. He's very good at that. His experience shows he knows when to draw fouls. I think he uh, I think he did one at Anfield. It was, uh, it was really nice. He just sort of went down with a bit of a yelp in our own box, managed to relieve mm. some just really, really important moments there, just that moment to 
clear your lines and to and to get the ball away from dangerous areas. Given how well we've played over the last few few games and the results that we've come that have come from that, I mean Robert Sanchez has been a massive part of that. Uh, you'd say that little bit of drama. We won't go into it, I don't think, in this in this pod, but little bit of drama with uh, comments from Matt Ryan over the mm-hmm. last few few days. But I think we'd rather focus on on what we've got rather than than people who who aren't here at the moment. Sanchez didn't really have a lot to do against Villa, but for you, how how important has he been? I think he really showed his worth against Burnley. Um, you know, that was a game that we didn't play particularly well in the second half. Burnley actually really impressed me. They they switched up their their normal style. They didn't go as direct because I think the three centre backs that we had were, were were mopping up everything in a decent way. And they played some really really good stuff. Played um, through the lines in a really nice way and caused a lot of problems. What what's you know how how big a factor has he been in our in our upturn in form? He's of course been huge, and we've we've spoken before on the pod. Um, you know, we had the goalkeeping special where we were fortunate enough to speak to John. Um, he's since been putting out some data, Charlie, that you know we've. we've Been um, preventing when you compare uh, sort of the XG of the shots on target that he's faced to, to the goals he's conceded. He's he's top in Europe right now, Rob Sanchez, for additional goals prevented per game. Which um, for anyone who doesn't quite understand the statistics, you don't really need to. That the point is just being that um, he's he's absolute quality in terms of uh, he's conceding a lot fewer goals than you'd expect him to as a result of sort of some great shot stopping ability um, from a range of you know whether this be sort of the the one v ones that we saw against Burnley, we saw against Fulham obviously this season as well um, in, in the away fixture. Um, but also in terms of against Spurs, where we saw you know, shots in range that might be heading in towards corners or, or the sides of the goal, the harder to reach areas that he's still able to get down and make those saves. Um, and then, you know, right down to the Anfield game where, you know, coming out to be aggressive from crosses. Yeah, I think in injury time, the, the biggest one for me was a side who all season have, have struggled at defending set pieces um, and, you know, struggled in seeing out games to do both of those. And Rob Sanchez to come out to pretty much the halfway line to, pluck one out of the, the Liverpool night uh, and, and see the game at 1-0 was, was really, really wonderful. Um, and and he's fortunate enough, I suppose, to be um, standing or, or sat behind, if you like, for, for a metaphor, a, a defence who are definitely improving in quality. Um, I obviously don't specifically know to put that down to one fact, and I think it would probably be wrong of us to do so. The fact that they probably have more time to bed together now um, is definitely you know a worthwhile factor to consider. I suppose we have to consider now that uh, lower possession in recent games as well has probably afforded us to keep more players behind the ball. I've seen a fair bit of the the centre backs being sort of quite comfortable defending wide areas, um, particularly in sort of that, that game at Anfield and against Spurs as well. Um, Adam Webster against Spurs, I thought was excellent at dropping in with Human Son and um, to stop him sort of doing any real damage. Um, and, and once again, I think you know besides that one Salah chance I on at Anfield, Charlie, I think they did really really well um, in terms of dropping off to stop those balls in behind. So that their ability to deal with uh, players that both drop in and run in behind has been really, really important. Um, in, in terms of you know goalkeeper on the flip side, that we've spoken about how good uh, Robert Sanchez was in that draw against Burnley. Um, so I think it's only right that you know we we don't be overly critical in terms of our underperformance, if you like, of XG. That um, Emmy Martinez had a you know a truly, truly wonderful performance, and I think you sort of just have to tip your hat to that. In the same vein that you know we we did for Sanchez at Burnley, that if we're going to you know, not perform to, to the level that metrics suggest, then I've got no complaints. That's because a goalkeeper is having an amazing performance. Um, our, our best game of the season in terms of shots on target and shots taken. I believe our most shots taken in a Premier League game with 26, nine of those are on target. Um, so a relatively good um, accuracy. 
uh, well above, about 10% above or just close to that above our average in terms of shot on targets, uh, sorry, shot accuracy, shots on target um, compared to the shots taken. Close to 35% of shots were on target. Um, my sort of big bugbear, Charlie, I'm not sure how much um, how much this you picked up or, or what listeners picked up, um, but a lot of shots from range, which aren't always a problem. We've got some players who are particularly talented at that. Eve Basuma has shown time and time again that he can score from range. Alexis McAllister is renowned for that too. Obviously, there's benefits besides just goal scoring in, in the sense of you know drawing players out um, or if players set to block a, a shot that I think is about to occur, you might be able to slide someone in, um, winning set pieces too from that. Um, but a lot of shots from range. Our average XG per shot um, was our second lowest this season in any game. It was only lower against City in the loss, um, which, you know, pretty much makes sense given their quality. 0.06 XG per shot it isn't quality. Uh, and the big point that we picked up on in, in the win at Villa Park um, in the reverse fixture was our average XG per shot was close to 0.2, which was really, really good. So the idea of just creating a high volume of XG is OK. But if that's coming from a load of accumulated shots, which aren't the most likely to go in, that might not be the best thing for you and that, uh, the stats do say that, you know, if you take two teams who generate a similar amount of XG, but one does it from a few quality chances and the other does it from loads of low quality chances, statistically, the team who creates more quality chances is more likely to win. So I think that's important to consider that against Palace, what we don't want to do is just pepper the goal with shots. And um, obviously that gives us more chance to score goals. But I think we can become very frustrated and, you know, it can really annoy fans early on if we're just shooting and losing possession that we'll have enough of the ball, we'll have enough time to create genuinely quality chances that will mean that we're, we're more likely to win the game. Yeah, I think you raise a, a really interesting point there about how you accumulate your XG. The XG number kind of sitting there on its own can sometimes be a little bit misleading. I think I, I read something really, I'm just trying to remember now exactly what the the kind of premise was of this piece that I read. But essentially there's, there is a point where the, the, wor- the worse you are as a team, in theory, or uh, yeah, the worse you are as a team at taking chances, sometimes there is a, there is a point where you, if you're if you're not clinical, then there's they they say that you should actually try and make more frequent chances less with lower quality. Does that mm. make sense? If you're a team that just just has this inane ability of not scoring good chances, then they statistically you're actually more likely to score from kind of pot shots. Um, I don't know if this is kind of percolated into Potter's thinking and he's just thought right more volume more shots don't be afraid let's see what happens I mean Martinez actually funnily enough had a a bit of a shocker a couple of weeks ago I think I want to say I'm trying to remember who it was but he, he threw one into his name. oh the West Ham game just yeah Lingard. the West Ham game yes. yeah, have X Rising Jesse Lingard of course exactly yeah it's funny it's one of those funny things where he comes mm. comes to here and it's prime van der Sar, mm. I think well that's just that's just one of those things um We've had that a couple of times, not just in terms of individual performances, but also with teams. I think we caught Everton at a really bad moment when we were at the start of the season. They were probably in their best form of the season. They haven't really looked like themselves since then. Um, but just the way it goes, unfortunately, you can't you can't pick the fixtures. You can't choose when teams come into form or mm. go out of form. And with that in mind, um, if we were able to pick <laughs> form going into games, we probably would have arranged... Uh, Monday night's fixture around about this time, Brighton, six games unbeaten, mm. a load of clean sheets, really good performances, wins at Anfield and at home to Spurs. Palace, just off the back of losing 3-0 at home to Burnley, looked really, really dire. Uh, and Hodson only naming seven substitutes on, on the bench out of nine, which is probably an indictment of, of 
where they are and the confidence that he feels uh, with their squads. I want to talk a little bit about their squads, our squads. I think I'll preface it by saying that what happens on Monday is extremely important in a in a very basic sense because fans we're all we're all reactionary we're all very much invested in what's happening on the screen unfortunately at the screen we wish we could be there at that time I mean I I for one you know you have a sort of broader picture and I'm trying to kind of constantly recalibrate my thinking with the with a bigger picture but actually when Brighton are on the TV, it's 90 minutes. That game might as well be the cup final because we have mm. to win. We absolutely have to win the game. I can't I can't see it any other way, realistically. But they've not really... What What's important to me is that the win, on, the win on Monday that we hope we will get is important to bring out all those underlying feelings about the truth of where the two clubs are at the moment and that is to say that without without a win on monday if we, if we if we scrape a draw or if we god forbid lose the game then all of the all of the true things kind of get clouded over the fact that our academy and training ground are superior the fact that the average age of our squad is the fourth youngest in the league and is only only going to be probably going down as as more younger players are are, are brought up um, and theirs is the oldest by quite a while, 28.7 average age. Middleboard, Old. 29, Goita, 34, uh, Wilfred Zaha, their talisman, 28. You know, these are players that are, you know, getting towards that point where you'd be looking at re- replacing them. But they just don't have the squad depth to do that either. They've actually used the second uh, least amount of players uh, in the league with 22. Uh, Aston Villa, actually, the, the least amount of players used. I think they mentioned that. When we played them, I was a bit mm. surprised to see that too. And Aston Villa are also, incidentally, the youngest uh, average age with 25 out of any Premier League team. Um, in that, in that, in that sense, I think that what is what is true about the way that is what the way things are going on, the the, the way we're playing, the, the 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 direction the clubs are headed in. I think those are all sort of things that are true, but. It's very hollow to say after you've lost two nil. Well, our training ground's nicer, or well, you know, we've uh, we accumulate more xG on average, or whatever. You know, ultimately the result on Monday is is the most important thing. But if we do get that result, then it will beautifully bring out all of the underlying anxieties that Palace fans are feeling right now, which is that Brighton are overtaking their club at an alarming rate, and despite them having a four or five year head start in the Premier League, they look as likely to go down as they ever have. Are you? Do you share these kind of thoughts about the way the clubs are going or am I getting a little bit carried away with uh, the disparity between the two? No, I think you speak for both of us um, in, in the sense of that. And, and the, the more alarming thing for me when you're reading out sort of the, the ages of some of the Palace players was, um, obviously this won't necessarily be true. This is sort of a very blanket claim from, from what some of the, the numbers have said from people over the years is that that's around sort of the, the peak age for players, maybe leaving the peak age and less of a worry of necessarily um, them needing to be replaced. But if this is what Palace are achieving at their optimum or, or what these players should theoretically be in their optimum is that they could be in for sort of a real struggle in, in maybe a season or two's time. Obviously, they've brought in the likes of Eze, who is a you know a fantastic footballer. Um, 
one definitely the, the danger person to watch out for um, in terms of his, his ball striking, his ball carrying. Um, so technically proficient. And I think you'd agree, Charlie, that the sort of player that you can't really plan for. Um, Wilfred Sahar maybe a bit more so as we know the sorts of spaces that he likes to receive. We know that he's going to be you know, particularly dangerous down that left side of the pitch. Um, that he's got areas where he can can be dangerous. But I, I think Eze can hurt you in, in many, many different ways. And that um, it'll be interesting to see how Potter utilises a press, how he utilises the, the side out of possession that we've seen sort of in recent weeks. Um, in previous games, we've seen, you know, Leo Trossard um, almost man-marking or screening players without the ball. We've seen Alexis McAllister being pretty intense without the ball. That could be really, really important um, as much as what we do in possession because um, Palace are a really, really good side when they haven't got the ball. Um, probably, not that I'm in the business of praising opponents, but they're probably one of the better sides in the league without the ball. So, of course, what you then need to do is work out how you can hurt them or how you can um, set up to to facilitate sort of a, a good performance. And, and one thing that um, I'm not trying to sort of draw correlation and, and causation here, Charlie, but one thing I have noted, just from looking at their average sort of possession statistics and, and ranking them from most possession to least possession in the game, their top six games of possession share this season, they've lost all of them and they've scored in just one game. And that was a loss against West Ham. Of course, I understand that if there's, if there's games where they're losing, that they're more likely to have more of the ball according to game state. If you're losing, you'd expect to mm. um, have more possession because you need to try and score. Other teams might be more content to sit back. Um, but this is a Palace side who you know have got at least 10 games a season where they've had less than 40% of the ball. Um, they quite often will not just have limited possession, but really low, um, which we, of course, saw in the reverse fixture. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Potter set up with a similar sort of pragmatic approach that he's done in recent games um, and really sort of give Palace the ball and say, you know what, we'll press you or we'll set some traps. Of course, you wrote a great piece, how Houston did that a couple of seasons ago, um, that, that, you know, is still still very important. Um, so, so seeing how Brighton act out of possession for me might be even more important to, you know, maybe trying to afford Palace and a false sense of security with the ball to, to them really sort of press um, quite extremely. And that's where the likes of McAllister, Mapai, Connolly, if he's featured, um, Pascal Gross too, Leo Trossard can really sort of come into their own. And I think we've done that. It stood out for me in the Fulham game, really. Um, but we've done that a lot better in sort of recent games of being able to translate an effective press to win the ball in advanced locations to then sort of take that into um, carry or, or pass into the final third and create chances and create shots on that. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I think it's one of those awkward games where you almost want to yeah give them the ball and be like, go on, do you, do your worst. Mm. We, we know that you don't really have that that capability. Eze absolutely is um, one of their standout players, only 22. And uh, as you said, really, really good ball carrier. Uh can receive the ball between the lines in a, in a really effective way. A great shot on him uh, was really fantastic for QPR. I don't think he's uh, had too... It's difficult for him, I think, when you play in a team like players when they maybe don't have the ball all that much. You know, it's not really the best. You know, it's hard for him to show, like, the, the extent of his capability. So I think there's still more to come from him, unfortunately. Um, I think that, realistically, they are at a point where they're relying on sort of experienced players who, you know, they, they, they know, they know what they're doing defensively out, uh, w- without the ball. They are really, really strong, uh, really, really well organized. Um, I think the key thing is that we don't concede first. Um, I think that is generally true for a lot of games. Uh, so it kind of sounds a bit redundant saying that, but I, I, I would stress that in, in this game, maybe more than any other, 
it's so important that we don't concede first. If we if we go behind, then we are really going to struggle. And that's not just because of our own lack of uh, sort of, it, it, not intent, I suppose. We're always trying and there is, we're always doing the right things. I say the lack of clinicalness that we, we, we seem, we just, it's been completely inescapable the whole season uh, and how good they are um, without the ball. Mm. I think that's going to be a really big, big struggle. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning as well that they've only got three players under the eight, or 23 and under that have played minutes this season. And we're up to nine already. Um, and, you know, we could we could see another one with uh, Caicedo coming in uh, in January. I, I would say that I expect them to sit in for the draw on the basis that I think they will look at the table situation and feel that they are far enough away from the danger on 29 mm. to not need to win the game uh, per se. I think they'll be content with the fact that they're above us. The pressure will be on them massively if we manage to turn them over because we will go above them and then the chances of them getting relegated skyrocket compared to a, a draw or a victory. Uh, I was mentioning to you before we before we start recording. I think maybe a week or so ago, I saw that we were twelve to one for for relegation, uh, and they were already twenty five to one um, before, you know, before the uh, the Aston Villa game that was. I think so. Realistically, we're already in a stage where most people expect us to to catch up with them one way or another. But if we if we if we lose on Monday, then I think we probably won't. I don't want I don't want to you know put it in an absolute like that. But I I think that this is the best opportunity to really turn the momentum and 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 kind of send them on a trajectory of sinking. Um, just just to sort of give you some some backing statistics to to the points there, Charlie, which which does bear out um, whether people want to read into these sort of predictive metrics or not. Um, 538, who are a great sort of analytics company, have, have their model to sort of predict the chances of um, survival and relegation. There's a 2% chance, according to their model, that we go down. Um, Burnley are, are ranked below us in this model as well in terms of uh, having a high likelihood of going down, as are Palace. Palace are up to 9% chance. That goes up to 30 for Newcastle, 56% for Fulham, and then Sheffield United and West Brom um, are both on 95% chance and above of going down. So, um Generally, I know that as, as fans, we can be um, a, a bit cautious about being reliant on these metrics. But when you do look at survival um, and points needed and, and um, positioning after a certain amount of games, especially at this stage of the season, which um, admittedly where we are in the calendar isn't you know quite reflective that this is ahead of where a normal season would be. Um, it is quite stable for the most part. And there was a thread that, that we put up sort of the tail end of, of last season um, where people were you know, a bit cautious, not wanting to say it's done until it's done because it's not at all. Of course, there are points to play for and, and Brighton can quite comfortably feasibly go down. Um, but the the chances are that we've laid a significant amount of the groundwork now. Um, both us and Palace could hypothetically draw every game until now and the end of the season. And I think you'd agree, Charlie, that we'd both be quite comfortably safe. Obviously, we, we don't want or think that will happen. Um, but as you were sort of mentioning in terms of the, the necessity to, to not concede first, it's hugely important. Um, from the start of last season, Palace have taking the lead in 26 games and they've won 19 of those games, losing on just one occasion. Um, so one of the seven games where they have dropped points after leading was, of course, against us in the reverse fixture. Um, comparatively, when you look at our numbers, just 14 wins from 27 leads, which is close to half, which is, of course, a, a pretty poor return. 
Um, we like to think now that we're we're improving on that. Um, admittedly, we dropped points against Burnley after leading, but um, I think we did well to come up with a point and not not end up sort of losing the game completely. So I don't think it was a it was a terrible result by any means. Um, but that really sort of just backs up Charlie in, in terms of um, having a game plan and a real strong plan A. You know, we, we know what Palace can do, and they showed us in in the reverse fixture that. Um, they might not be here to, to play the same style of football that we are, but they can quite easily put in a performance that is really going to make us struggle. Um, and, you know, that's one of the most horrible games of football I've ever watched that, you know, I don't think I've ever been so frustrated for sort of 90 minutes until uh, Alexis McAllister finally sort of, um, you know, put the ball in the net and, and gave us something to, to have some joy about. So it, it will be a tough test. I think it will be very remissant of us right now, even with the metrics to suggest that it won't be. Um Regardless of sort of their difficulties and decisions to not be such a heavy attacking side, there's a reason they're above us in the league, and it's because they've they've performed better in their games to, to get more results, whether we like how they've done it or not. Um, but a, a big point, I think, Charlie, and we've we've obviously co-authored a, a piece not not too long ago, uh, looking at set pieces, is that Palace are the worst side in the league when it comes to conceding shots from set pieces. And um, they are they are really really bad at it. So oh, yes, that's what I want to hear. We do. I mean, I picked up on that mainly. Um, actually, this was before I even looked at the statistics. Was and um, their game against Burnley that early on there was a, an in-swinging corner. Um, I presume Dwight McNeil took it. Obviously, Burnley renowned for their their in-swinging corners. Um, Vincente Gaeta came for it. Didn't really get anywhere near it, and I'm not sure who, had a, who headed home. But um, you know, they they really do look vulnerable from those sorts of situations. They've conceded 56 shots from from dead ball situations, which is joint most in the league with Leeds. Um, which shows, you know, just just that's quite a lot, given that's about two a game. Um, so we will get opportunities. Of course, we mentioned in the piece how good um, the likes of Duncan Webster have been at attacking those, uh, at winning the first contact. Um, they sit about fifth or sixth for um, shots conceded from from sort of live passes. So just sort of a reflection of where they rank in that these set pieces are, are particularly bad for them, um, even though they do concede a, a lot. And the same again from, from fouls. Um, that they've committed leading to shots. They're the worst in the league. 39 fouls they've committed leading to shots is, is the worst by three. Fulham uh, in second with 36. So um, we can sort of segue this on nicely, Charlie, if, if you're happy to. Um, looking then at, at who Potter might might go for um, based on you know, trying to exploit set pieces or whatever sort of approach he, he does go for. Um, although I think it's pretty important to mention just before that, but we did tweet this out earlier on today. Um, for anyone that's, that's not seen it, um, Sky put up their sort of end of season prediction table, um, which used goals for, goals conceded and, and current points. So they might be a bit more valuable than just the expected metrics. Um, and that they predicted Brighton to finish on 41 points yet again, um, you know, in line with last season to score 40 goals and concede 48 by the end of it. I think that's about 15 more goals um, and about 18 um, from what the numbers what they are currently. Um, but Fulham to finish in, in 18th with 30 points is incredibly low. I think that'd be the, probably the lowest ever points needed to stay up. Um, annoyingly though it's about I think it's about six points away Palace that we would be um, or maybe five sorry I think Palace are projected to finish on 46 which is a lot of points and um, I think for as much progress as, as we'd like to have in terms of our you know we've mentioned China that the play style the academy the young players that there's something really priceless about the opportunity to go above and finish above Palace that you know they've, they've finished above us for so many seasons now that it, you know there's nothing trophy that comes out of it wise but just to sit above them would be really really nice uh, you know analytics aside we can all agree on that surely yeah no doubt that the special part of it is actually beating them to go above them I think you know it's one mm. of those you beat the uh, beat them and close the gap to two points or something and then you go above them and finish above them as you know whatever 
the fact that after the game, if we manage to get a positive result, we will see that visual slide up the table is going to be something that just makes every, everything that's gone not quite right this season in terms of underperforming XG on the regular uh, info goal and the XG philosophy uh, sort of have regular, you know, bits of fun kind of uh, joking about our uh, our lack of um, kind of willingness to score goals. Um, but if we, if we manage to beat Palace, you know, given that we should have batted them away as well, you know, I'll, I'll definitely take that. I think that mm. will enough given the fixtures that we've got left to kind of set us on a relatively uh, comfortable course for um, for staying up and it could really drop them into into the mire. Um, looking at some of the stuff that, you know, that Pal- what's online, let's say, about what Palace are saying, you know, you can see a lot of nerves from, from Palace fans. You can see a lot of people a little bit paranoid about, you know whether the, uh, the the club in general really you know you kind of get these annual tweets or the statements from the Holmesdale fanatics mm-hmm. about uh, you know this is this is an opportunity to show that you show that you care and this is this is you know you need to restore the ambition and pride of our of our club um, and that's kind of you know the inspiration for my my thoughts on the result being important to really hammer home because if if they do beat us then all of the stuff that I think is important, that genuinely do think is important, like our academy, our training ground, the facilities, the infrastructure, the the plan, the philosophy, everything that, you know, will be determining factors in, in where we go as a club. Um, I think what you said actually was really, really um, important about the fact that if, if this is where they're, where they are with with players in their prime because you know by but I didn't mean to suggest by any means that you know 28 29 players are finished and need to be uh, mm-hmm. you know, cutted off to the retirement home or anything like that because that you know absolutely those are points where yeah 28 29 you're probably in your prime and if you you know you go go a bit over that you need to be looking at having replacements uh, available that's probably the key difference i suppose we have the likes of dunk um Veltman obviously just joined, but you know, twenty eight, twenty nine, the players like that, if they if they start to peter off, if they mm. if they start to transition out of their prime, um, Van Hecker, Erstegaard, all of those players that we've got, unlike Matt Clark, you know, we've got ready made replacements. Basuma uh, might attract very you know attractive bids in the summer. Moise Caicedo and Moda are already here playing with the squad, integrating within the within the club hopefully going to to step up and be be that replacement if if we do lose them hopefully we don't um so it does feel like a you know it's always a big game it does feel like it it means something in a broader sense if we can go above them uh, in in a literal sense i think it might just be symbolic of uh, of a broader changing of the guard and i think hmm. i want to bring out all that panic from Palace fans because, you know, they won't admit it while it's not, you know, a prominent, while we're both sort of in the relative ambiguity of mid-table, nothing too fancy. I think, you know, we've been flirting with the relegation zone, but I think we've all felt realistically that with the way that we're playing and the quality of the teams below us. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to probably mention that Fulham are a decent, I think you mentioned that before, before we start recording Fulham, I do, I do rate. Josh Madge is a good addition, and I think it's more like more like Newcastle 
I uh, couldn't help it, could I? I nearly made it through the <laughs> without saying that Newcastle are bad. I'm sorry, I failed. I failed again. Newcastle are rubbish. They are so, so bad. <laughs> okay, I had to get that out. Who, who um, had 35 minutes on the Charlie anti-Newcastle bingo? Nearly did it as well. <laughs> thinking about so close. On why Palace are bad, and then it just sort of slipped up a little bit. Um, but in any case, with, with Callum Wilson out for them, that's going to be a massive struggle. Mm. Not relatively comfortable, but... This could be a this could be a really good moment to drag Palace into a proper scrap, and if, as the Holmesdale fanatics are suggesting, they don't have the grit and the fight, then they could find themselves towards the end of the season uh, in a very very precarious position, and that's what we all want to see. Mm. Should we shout about then, Charlie? Um, obviously, Adam Webster and Tarek Lampsey are, according to obviously what Brighton tweeted out, are, are set to miss the fixture or be doubtful. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll see how how true either of those statements are. Whether that's you know to to try and um, play some mind games with Palace or whatnot. Um, we were sort of chatting pre-pod and and saying that with the the volume of possession that we're expecting to have, that our defensive line probably won't matter massively personnel-wise because you know we're expecting to play the majority of the game in, in the midfield and, and final thirds, like we have done you know plenty, um, particularly sort of against Villa recently. Um, and we we sort of you know made made a note of. Um, to to discuss who Potter might go with um, in in sort of the the advanced locations, his his pairings, who he goes for, um, sort of in, in front of presumably be be Basuma and Gross, um, not just necessarily sort of in in that area behind the strikers, but in the in the forward line itself. We'd expect Neil Mapai to um, take up his sort of usual position, um, who, who's sort of sort of shown a bit, a bit of a tweak in recent games where done a bit bit more of the creation. We've seen the likes of sort of Leo Trossard. Um, who's again becoming a bit more of sort of a hybrid um, in terms of being able to you know operate now in the box very well as well as in advanced areas a bit more like sort of he showed in his time at Genk um, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of role he undertakes um, but also the fact now that I think Connolly is almost back fit if he's not completely back fit similar for Welbeck I'm not sure if he's got a full 90 in his legs but he again came on off the bench against Villa um, on top of that, I thought Adam Milano was particularly excellent off the bench. A really good cameo. I think he created four chances in about half an hour being on the pitch. So, um, And the the one player for me that I, I would say, Charlie Brighton, who is technically excellent with both feet, and I think that sort of thing could be really, really important um, come Monday night because knowing how our Palace can sit down, um, or sorry, not sit down, but sit back behind the ball um, and, and can thwart teams and um, can, can really make life difficult, to have a player who can still create chances even if the ball comes to the left foot and they want it on their right foot that he can you know regardless of the pass that comes into him he can probably give you a forward ball he can give you a line breaking pass he can find a teammate um and of course on top of that then he's someone who is particularly good at combining you know if it would have been March and Lampsy that we'd hope for obviously both of those will probably be out um but the likes of probably Dan Byrne out on the left and probably Joel Veltman out on the right who um, you know, not necessarily the most technically proficient crosses, but we'll get the ball into the box. We'll create goals for opportunities. But of course, having a cross for Alzate's winner, and I, you know, Joel Veltman's been absolutely fantastic for me this season. Um, in terms of not just his his output, but one of the the biggest things that you can see, he's someone who who came through the the Ajax academy, um, uh, uh, such a technically proficient player who can skip past players with with one touch, and that's really really important for someone who doesn't quite possess the speed of Tarek Lamptey, but he can also get past defenders um, just in a slightly different manner. Um, just to give you some of his sort of percentile rankings, Charlie, because I know that you can absolutely love these. Um, for anyone that's wondering what, what a percentile ranking is, basically looks at a player's metric, um, ranks them against all other players. This is taken from the big five leagues. Um, so Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Syria and Liga um, in the last year, in the last calendar year. 
And uh, if you are a 100% player, it means you rank above everyone. So if you're in the top X percent, uh, yeah, it would rank you there. So he's in the top 25%, top quarter for progressive passing yards, so yards pass forward and passes into the final third, which marry up quite nicely. He's in the top 20% for long passes completed and open play crosses completed into the box. And we've seen how good he can be, you know, those those crosses from positions on the right to, to find players, um, but also for interceptions and clearances. So, you know, he really can operate in both boxes. Um, and even more impressive that the top 10% for passes into the penalty area um, and tackles in the defensive third. And, you know, those two stats, the, the last ones of, of how high he ranks, I think, could well be the difference on Monday um, in terms of thwarting someone like Wolf Sahar um, on that, that left-hand side for them, right-hand side for us. Um, of being able to do the business in, in that part of the pitch defensively, but then also to combine with players um, and to create chances to score, I, I think will be absolutely huge. And it's sort of a, a final point for me, China, in, in terms of um, going forward and, and creating this, that the goals that we've created in, in recent games have been really reflective of sort of the, the ideas that we've tried to push in sort of recent pods of the, um, you know, scoring from the cutback situations or the passes across goal where players can finish with feet rather than head. They might be a bit more suited to that. But also, um, we saw from Gross, uh, particularly against Spurs, that, you know, the, the slower passes in and even Burns header, I suppose, as well. At Tamfield was a bit slower across goal that allow players, you know, to maybe have a bit more of a controlled finish. They don't always have to rush it, don't have to feel they have to smash the ball to find the corners. Of course, Trossard and Azate both showing really, really neat finishes um, in, in the respective winning goals that they scored. So, um, be really important, I think, not to try and take the net off with our finishes against Palace and, and really try and aim, aim for those corners. Yeah, I think that those uh, Trossard, I think, will be uh, a key figure. I agree. Um, I think generally that with the players that we have out, obviously we can't put our strongest eleven or or squad out in any in any case because you know with uh, Webster, Lamptey, March would all would all be there. Um, and I think that's probably worth bearing in mind as much as that we want to win the game. I think as much as we expect to win the game, we are missing a lot of key players. Um, listening to Graham Potter's press conference today, uh, he says that Lamptey's out and Webster is unlikely. Um, I was, and they're assessing his ligament damage. Uh, we mentioned a little bit before uh, we recorded that, you know, you, you can't really say that that's all for definite. He might, he might well have a sneak inclusion of Lamptey on the bench. I mean, his Kiedo kind of popped up on the bench uh, not too long ago with, with no fanfare as to that whatsoever. Didn't really feature, but, you know, you expect that if he's on the bench, he's surely able to to come on for 10, 15 minutes and maybe Lamptey will, could be used in a similar way, although we have been very careful with his with his rehabilitation. And I think we'll want to continue that and save him. There was, a I think, on the uh, Albion Raw, they mentioned uh, potentially that we should save Lamptey for next season, not take any risks. And obviously... It's hard, you know. It's hard to say what the risks are. Only the medical staff and possible know about the state of Lamptey, and if it is a risk to, you know, lots sort of longer term to play him, then then maybe it is better to kind of let him have a full recovery. I'm not really not sure what that, what kind of state his legs are in at this point. So, you know, that's really a decision that we can't can't comment on too much. I expect a, essentially the same team as Aston Villa. It was a good performance, and I think if we expect to have a lot of the ball, Alzate at left wing back will. Will um is is a perfectly sound choice. Veltman was excellent. Um, you mentioned uh, Palace's sort of willingness to give up shots uh, at set pieces. Um, Burn, you know, his first Albion goal has been coming. Hopefully, hopefully a hat trick on Monday night would will, uh, will um kind of put all those things to bed. Duncan, uh, 
White less so, but Dunk Dunk is always a threat uh, from set pieces. So I think he he could well have a part to play. That would be nice. I, it's yeah. The treat the tricky thing is. Do. My my, I think it relatively picks itself. The bench, I think Kabanik and um, Moda will will be on the bench. I I think they're still sort of hesitant to to put them in in any meaningful way because I don't think they're quite ready they're trying to give them time to to bed in but just with the injuries that we've had I think it's kind of forced upon us Connolly will be useful off the bench Welbeck as well I think obviously it will depend of course on game state as well I think if we're losing I think it's more likely to be more likely to be Welbeck for sort of height a little bit more presence as as, as Palace will inevitably drop deeper and deeper um, but I would expect McAllister to to play and be influential again. Uh, his link-up play, obviously he got the uh, the late equaliser at Selhurst Park earlier in the season. I think that, funnily enough as well, out of the players that are out, maybe a final point about the way we'll try and exploit them, it's all, almost been forced into it in a sense with the with the back five or back six that we're going to play with, um, with Burns starting and with Veltman starting uh, compared to let's say, uh, March and Lamptey. Lamptey was very unlucky to give a penalty away um, mm. in the reverse fixture, but it's the sort of thing where at his age, he's going to inevitably make some errors of judgment. I wouldn't, I don't want to call that an error of judgment because it was such a farcical decision. It was not you know, fair on him at all, but the fact that he had his arm um, not tucked into his shorts or wherever the hell he's supposed to put it in that <laughs> jumping motion, I, don't, I really don't understand. Um, but in any case, he, you know, he's prone. I think Southampton away last year, I recall him being exploited quite heavily, he got substituted just because he was having a little bit of a mare and we people forget as good, as talented as he is. You know, he's one of those players that is still learning and is still going to make mistakes. Funnily enough, the back five that we, we're going to be putting it out is probably going to be one of the safest back fives, if that makes any sense. He's probably the, the one, the most dependable. Uh, Webster is a miss, but I think that, in terms of not making, you probably say Webster in for White in that sense, but in terms of making errors or giving the opposition, you know, easy chances to to kind of attack a disorganised defence, I think we're quite close to the most safe back five. And I think that if we, if our forward players, you know, can do the business, we almost can't compartmentalise the team into attack and defence in some sense. I think the defence is reliable. I don't see any problems unless there's some inexplicable mistakes. Uh, talk to the average person, maybe on Twitter, and Dan Burns a mistake machine and is hmm. constantly giving the ball away. Uh, but I don't, I don't really see that in in my view. Uh, and going forward, you just, you just really never know. I think we are, you know, making a lot of chances consistently, and I think we we are close to. To maybe spanking somebody, and we just hope it's Monday. But I think the most important thing to reiterate, as we mentioned before, is that if we can, I, th- I think I can confidently say that if we concede first, we will not win the game. And if we score first, barring any ridiculous mental lapses or kind of a, a nervousness creeping in, I expect us to win, to go on and then win the game. Um, particularly if they have no Zaha, no wild card to 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 get them out of jail. Mm. 
Uh, I think it's fundamentally important that more than anything, we, we continue our run of keeping clean sheets. If you are going to underachieve the side in front of goal, as you said before, we create enough and we do score in most games that we play. So keep a clean sheet and, and you'll win a game. And we've shown in recent weeks that, you know, we can make winning 1-0 look quite attractive, even if it does mean backs to the wall defending at times. But when you do get that ball, you can create really well in terms of, you know, high passing moves or really slick play and interchanges and runs in behind for really nice, neat finishes um, close into goal. So I think it'll be be really important that, you know, do do the basics and then we set ourselves up to, um, you know, play the aesthetic football when we have got the ball. Um, I think, Charlie, that just as a final point for me, it's it's really got all the makings for, um, as you mentioned, a, a game that could be almost really quite nicely symbolic, putting all the all the numbers aside um, of, of where two sides are in, in their um, stage of development as clubs right now that, um, yeah, could could be really telling um, and, and fingers crossed for um, a, a good result, a, a good performance and, and hopefully a relatively stress-free game, dare I say it. A final point then before we go, I'll also mention very, very quickly that uh, we got some really good questions on Twitter uh, relating to Dan Ashworth and how his uh, tenure has been uh, over the last two years and uh, about our loan prospects, uh, Giocares and Erstegaard, who are both, of course, at Coventry City at the moment. Um, rest assured, um, thank you very much for those questions. We are going to uh, answer them in full, in, in good detail uh, with an upcoming podcast um, relating to our loan system the the players that we have out and i think we'll also talk generally about our development process in our academy so those questions will be answered thank you very very much um for bringing them to us a uh, yeah, final point uh, ahead of the huge huge game on on monday um looking at the kind of feeling uh, the kind of vibe going on around before the game i think brighton fans just generally kind of cautiously optimistic i think everyone's aware that we are um superior generally and that we you know we expect to win the game but you know with Brighton you just never know but the main thing that I've been picking up having looked uh, researching ahead of the podcast is that Palace fans are, are pretty pretty across the board at saying that if, if they lose on Monday then then Hodgson should be sacked on spot essentially um seems seems reactionary but they obviously the discontent's been brewing for for a long time uh, he's out of contract I believe in the summer and I don't expect, if they continue the sort of form, even if they stay up, I don't expect him to sign another one unless they don't have any prospect of, of bringing in a, a manager who will enact what you would assume that, you know, they've got a plan for the future. Although you, you just never know, really looking at sort of the short termism that's, that's kind of ruled them in the past. You'd hope if you're a Palace fan that there is an idea about the direction the club wants to go in and not downwards. Um, but from from an outsider's perspective, it doesn't really look like, uh, you know, that's that's really something that's going on behind behind the scenes. And and a final stat, which is you know good and bad, depending on how you how you want to uh, how you want to take it. Um, you know, it might might sound a little bit ominous uh, ahead of ahead of the game, considering the uh, the state of the table. But um, prior to uh, the start of this season, uh, Palace are yet to win a game against a team who had more points to them prior to the game that they're playing. So uh, fingers crossed that trend doesn't continue in a way, um, but just sort of shows you that the uh, the re- sort of real lack of quality when it comes to the ceiling that, that Palace have kind of been under this season. Mm. Um, I think especially, especially relevant given our recent wins over 
Tottenham and Liverpool at Anfield. So on that on that positive note, um, we will draw the podcast to a close. Liam, any final thoughts from you? Uh, none from me. Just hopefully everyone in, enjoys the game. Hoping for a really good performance and uh, hopefully a, a big three points to really sort of kick us on um, and, and try and push for some really impressive places and points at the end of the season. Absolutely. Uh, fingers crossed. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Hopefully you enjoy the game on Monday and we are talking about a positive result next time we are recording. Thank you very much, everyone, and we will see you in the next episode. 